Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey everyone, welcome back to the 44th episode of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you into our world of the financial markets and financial planning. So good morning to you, Matt. Good morning, Mark. How are you doing today? Good, good. So we, uh, we for the first time, didn't do a podcast last week, so we broke our streak of 40, 43 weeks in a row, I think. so. We did. Unfortunately, we had an issue with our, with our guest we had planned. Yeah. So uh, here we are back with 44. Yes. So and we didn't want to just throw something together really quick and, you know, not have it be good. So that's why we ended up not doing one last week. We're going to do it. We're going to do it right. We're back. So uh, as always, we'll start. uh, Just take the first few minutes to recap the performance for the month and the year of the major indexes. And uh, April has been pretty good for, for stocks, Matt. So numbers should be pretty healthy. So uh, the S&P 500 index up 13.73% for the month of April, down 8.92% for the year. The Dow up 12.4% for the month and down 13.53% for the year. The NASDAQ up 15.77% for the month and only down 0.65% for the year. The IWM ETF that tracks the Russell 2000 index is up 18.35% for the month and down 18 0.24% for the year. So Russell's having a strong month. Um, the Vanguard International ETF, X United States, is up 9.8% for the month and down 17.27% for the year. And these numbers were from Coifin. Uh, the three-month T-bill currently yielding 0.1%, the two-year Treasury yielding 0.19%, and the 10-year Treasury yield sitting at 0.61%. So um, stocks have kind of been on a slow, choppy rise higher, Matt, for at least for the past two weeks. They haven't gone much of anywhere after that they've rebounded strongly off of the bottom in March. But um, I think that's kind of welcomed for for most people. A lot of uh, small movements or smaller movements relative to what we've seen over the past couple of months, I think, is welcomed by most investors. I'd absolutely agree, Mark. I I think that uh, this consolidation, this kind of pause in the market, very healthy. It allows you know volatility to come down a little bit, mm-hmm. and um, I think it's definitely welcomed. Yeah, I think it is too. Um, in other news, uh, states are beginning to reopen uh, back for business and reopen their economies, which is a good sign. Um, obviously, they want to do it in the safest way possible. And I can give you the data that we have so far here in Ohio, um, just so people understand what's going on in our state. So uh, the plan so far, Matt, is May 1st, we're going to start to open back up healthcare, dentistry, and veterinary services. Mm-hmm. May 4th is going to be construction, manufacturing, and distribution excuse me, manufacturing and distribution services, and general office environments. Yep. May 12th is going to be retail and consumer services. And we don't really have any more details or a timeline 
for any other industries at this point, like restaurants, bars, salons, and daycares. But I'm assuming we're going to get more info here over the next couple of weeks on that. My understanding on that, Mark, is they put together study groups this week, uh, Governor DeWine did, that make up these industries. And they're supposed to convene and obviously provide another side, uh, their side, obviously, right. to kind of counterbalance uh, what the, uh, the governor and uh, the top officials want to do. I would expect some clarity on that early next week, in my opinion. Right, right. And I'm assuming, you know, when restaurants and bars and those type of things open up, I'm assuming it's going to be at, you know, a quarter of their actual capacity at first. And phase it in, quarter, half, three-fourths, et cetera. And I think, you know, that's going to get people more confident when that starts opening back up I think and that's what I think we need <laughs> but obviously do it in a safe way but I think you know to regain the confidence of the consumer I think you know that stuff needs to start happening um, then the last bit of information on that is that public gatherings are still limited to 10 people or less which is an interesting point to me because I mean if you go in Home Depot or Lowe's and it's packed on a weekend oh you're, I mean you're in a crowd of people so I mean the parking just, lot of these uh, home improvement stores, Mark, on the weekend looks like Black Friday, man. Yeah. It just, there's not many things that people can do. They're working on their houses, you know. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Um, and I have uh, an uncle who lives in Canada, and it's a little different there for Lowe's and Home Depot, is that everything is just uh, curbside pickup. So you can't go in the store, so you can order online or call in the order, and then they'll bring it out to your car. So little differently how they're handling it in canada right now but hmm. um okay i'll turn it over to you for some other major headlines before we get into um, some other stuff here great uh listeners i got a couple things obviously uh we didn't have a podcast last week so i got a couple things i want to share with you uh first has to do with the covad case counts you know they continue to come in lower so mark i grabbed a a piece from bmo research on april 27th at about 9 27 in the morning it says, and I quote, the IHME COVID-19 modeling team has begun reporting projections for the date when each state may be ready to switch from mitigation to containment. Uh, the projection implies states representing 35% of U.S. GDP could ease distancing by May 18th, Mark, 80% by June 1st and 100% by June 29th. And, you know, there's a lot of states that are eager to restart their economies. Several southern states have announced plans to reopen businesses even this week. Yeah, I saw that in Texas, I think like restaurants and bars are going to be allowed to open at 25% capacity. I heard that too, sir. So yeah. I don't think the, the spread of it was as bad. I think in Texas, if the, I'm mistaken of the articles I was reading, but I don't think it was as bad as most areas of the country. So and I would expect more and more of these types of headlines in the weeks to come. Yeah. Yep. Um, next thing is uh, we're in the middle of Q1 earnings season. You know, it's peak this week with 169 S&P 500 index companies reporting this week. Mark, why don't you take a second, and for new listeners, why don't you explain what earnings season means? Yeah, so at the end of each um, quarter, uh, com public companies have to report how they did for that previous quarter um, You know, with their earnings reports. So the major numbers that they report are uh, their revenue numbers and their earnings numbers. And they usually compare this to last year, this quarter, and sequ sequentially. So um, comparing it to Q1 of 2020 in this example. So um, they're mandated to report these numbers, and they just give investors an idea of how they've performed over the past quarter. 
And obviously the expectations are pretty low right now, but I think the expectations are going to be even lower in Q3 just because we didn't, you know, Q2 didn't fully grasp the full effect of uh, the coronavirus yet. Well put. Thank you, sir. Uh, This week we had a Fed meeting. So again, for new listeners, the Federal Reserve meets every six weeks and um, doesn't mean they can't meet in between that. Um, But what they do is they talk about interest rate policy, monetary policy, and they had an announcement uh, yesterday afternoon. And what they said, I thought, Mark, was a very bold statement. Mm -hmm. They said that they're going to keep interest rates near zero until full employment comes back and they start to see inflation again. That's a bold, bold statement to the market, in my opinion. Yeah, and then in addition to that, the Fed chair, Jerome Powell, said that he believes that there's no other option to, but to provide more stimulus to the market and to Main Street um, eventually that he thinks the government's going to have to spend more money on this. So, you know, a couple of those two things together, I think, you know, the main point we're trying to get across is that the Fed and the government, I think, are again, they're throwing the kitchen sink at this thing and they're doing everything they can to make sure people are OK right now. So um, there's there's um, kind of sayings, um, you know, in the investment world in in one for listeners to understand is this. You don't fight the Fed. Right. And, you know, what that means is they're providing so much liquidity in the system that it tends to be a positive for risk assets, including stocks. I'll leave it at that because I can go down a pretty deep rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. But just remember, uh, the, the, the Wall Street kind of term old saying is you don't fight the Fed. Right. No, um, next thing is Congress funded more SBA loans after funds ran out. So an additional $464 billion mark in relief for small businesses that have been impacted by the economic downturn, as well as funding for hospitals and testing. So I think the CARES Act how it's targeted Main Street America has been excellent. Is the bill perfect? Of course not. No. Show me a bill that is. But I'll say this. When you go back to 07, 08, and 09, Congress failed to really help out and target Main Street. I think they did a tremendously better job this time around. And I think it's really going to help blunt the economic shock. And I think you're going to see a lot of companies who are getting these payroll protection program grants, assuming they maintain their payroll right. through the end of June, mm-hmm. um, 75% of it, then it becomes not taxable income and forgiven. And I think it's going to be huge for the economy. Yeah, I think it is too. And, you know, I, I think that a lot of people are making the argument because that states have increased unemployment benefits by $600 per week or something like that. They're making the argument that, well, that's just going to encourage more people to sit at home and not go to work or not stay on payroll. But people got to remember that that's not permanent, right? That's right. So, um, you know, as long as these business owners are having these conversations with their employees and everyone's on the same page that, hey, we're going to keep paying you, you're going to stay on payroll, then this should come out a very, very positive thing for these businesses. I would absolutely agree. And for people. You know, because after after the great financial crisis, there were so many small businesses that just couldn't bounce back. Right. And I'm hoping with the CARES Act, a lot of these will be able to. Yeah, I hope so too. I got one more thing, Mark. Has to do with oil prices. A lot of talk of oil prices over the past couple of weeks. Yeah. You want to just give a brief rundown of what kind of happened? 
So in essence, there was a lack of liquidity um, in oil trading, and there was a lack of uh, storage in oil. We just are a flush in oil with the economic slowdown. And so as the um, most uh, front expiring oil contract came due, people were looking around and couldn't take delivery of it. Right. And so if you own one of these oil contracts, and if you own, own it through the end of the month for that month's expiration, and you, you, take, you take delivery of oil. And guess what? All the storage facilities are pretty much packed. I read last week the big oil storage facility in the U.S. in Cushing, Oklahoma, is supposed to be at 100% capacity next week. That's crazy. It's crazy. And I saw, I got to try to dig this up, but someone had a map of the whole world and it had thousands and thousands of red dots on it. And each red dot was an oil tanker that was just sitting at sea full of oil because there's nowhere else to put it. So there's two points I want to make about oil. I'm going to go with that one first. So floating storage rates are surging around the world in response to low prices for crude with tanker rates for Middle East cargoes to Japan hitting 10-year-plus highs this month and an even larger surge in the price of tankers for fuels. I mean, so there are speculators out there, very wealthy hedge mm -hmm. funds, that at times will go out there, buy this oil at cheap prices, pay the storage costs with the anticipation of selling that back to the market in the months and years to come. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's definitely speculation. Um, I'm just saying that some people do that. I'm not an advocate for that. That's way outside <laughs> most people's risk tolerances. Yep. Um, the other thing I want to throw out is this. Um, and this is my prepared remarks I wanted to share with listeners, Mark. You know, the extreme mismatch between supply and demand is why this has happened. Strains in the oil market are expected to persist as capacity at key storage hubs and delivery points for West Texas crude in Cushing, Oklahoma, where they expected to be completely full by the first week of May. So I made that comment already. I just want to kind of reiterate that if you look out, Mark, on the uh, Chicago Mercantile Exchange, the CME, and it shows oil prices or the futures going out, not just the rest of this year, but several years out. And if you go a couple years out, it seems to be the prices either in the 30s or 40s. Mm -hmm. So I would anticipate that as the worldwide economy starts to come back online in phases in the months to come, you're going to start to see a lot of that excess supply mopped up. You have OPEC cutting production. And at some point, you will see, I could imagine, in my opinion, oil prices heading higher. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is just a really simple, easy example of how supply and demand works, right? So you have an oversupply and no one needs more oil. People aren't driving as much. You have, um, you know, airlines aren't flying as many planes. No one needs oil right now. So the price is going to go low. So and if and everyone who's holding it, i.e., you know, if it's a speculator, they're going to get rid of it at any price they can because they don't want to store that. <laughs> they have no use for it. Yeah. The other thing I want to throw out there for um, newer investors is be careful um, with um, assimilating higher oil prices in the years to come with energy stocks doing the same. Yeah. So it's not important. directly correlated. That's for a different conversation. I would say tread lightly. Yeah, very much so. And, you know, I'm still not an advocate for falling knives or bottom fishing. So that's just, just an example of that. Everyone, you know, we've gotten question of, hey, is now the time to tread jump light. in on oil? And tread it's just lightly. like, Take a step back. Tread lightly. People didn't think oil prices could go negative, and they did. 
<laughs> That's right. Right? That's right. All right, I'm going to move on to uh, tweets, articles, and research uh, from the past week, Mark, that caught our eye, if you're okay with that. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to start first uh, with Bespoke, um, a fan favorite for raw research uh, for you and I. Uh, we had Bespoke on uh, several weeks ago. So this uh, is a research piece, Mark, from April 27th at about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And what uh, Bespoke did is they took raw data to look at the first uh, part of the year through April 27th, and what they did is they looked at the highest correlation coefficient between closing prices of all years going back to 1928, and they wanted to see how similar years performed for the rest of the year, right? Mm -hmm. Raw research just giving you the averages, okay? And so the average going back with these times uh, that are similar average a 10.1% return the rest of the year for the S&P 500, from April 27th on. Correct, sir. Okay. Thank you. The maximum gain from April 27th to the end of the year, the maximum uh, was 17% uh, average, and the max loss on average was a negative 8.5%. But once again, the average overall was 10.1% um, in similar years past. Just want to throw Rose that well. out there. And the years that, that had the highest correlation, I'm just going to read them off real quick. 2001, 1980, 1966, 1942, 38, 73, 35, 92, 94, and 69. And again, it goes back to things we talked about previously on the podcast. The reasons for these sell-offs, the reasons for these corrections are different, but the outcomes tend to not to be. Right. Might take different time periods, different lengths of time, but you know, at the end of the day, Every time that we've had a sell-off or a bear market, you know, everyone knows what happens. You got it. I got two more, Mark, and I'm going to turn it back to you if that's okay. First is from Argus Research on April 27th. It's about 7 a.m. in the morning. Um, I'm going to quote this specifically, Mark, for listeners. The consensus now looks for a 33% drop in second quarter earnings per share and a full year 2020 earnings decline of 18%. Earnings will hit their peak this week with 169 S&P 500 companies projected to report. Given the swift 27% rebound off the lows, we see stocks as vulnerable to another pullback given the extreme uncertainty in the economic picture and a likely pause before any next round of fiscal stimulus, end quote. I would like for you to comment first. No, I think, you know, here's my thing. I think people initially when this happened they come out with these statistics and this is just my opinion and saying, you know, you know, earnings are going to drop this amount than the next couple of quarters. Again, have we ever had a time where the fed was doing the things that it's doing right now, where earnings might not matter in relation to why stocks are going up or going down? Yes. With so much liquidity in the system, unprecedented. Yes. So I think that in my opinion, we're going to go through a couple earnings periods where individual company reports aren't going to matter as much as they have in the past just due to the current conditions, right? Good point. Because, I mean, what was we made the low on March 23rd, yes, I think, sir. the current low? Yes. Companies' expectations are super low right now, but we have still have seen, a, what, like a 30% rally in the market from the lows? Yes. So... I don't know. It's just for me, I don't think earnings 
are going to matter as much right now, at least in the short term. Obviously, long term for the uh, validity of the business, that's going to matter, obviously. But from the quarter to quarter uh, reports, I don't think that it's going to matter as much as it once did. I think that's a great point. I, I don't disagree with you. Yeah. So and I got one last one for you, Mark. Uh, talking about money supply. We keep talking about the Fed. So this is a money supply yeah. uh, research note. This is from U.S. Global Investors from April 24th at 730 at night. I'm going to quote one more time. Right now, the U.S. is printing money on a scale we've never seen. You just said that, Mark. Yeah, uh, the amount of M2 money supply, which includes cash and near money, such as savings, deposits, money market securities, and mutual funds, have raced up 16% compared to the same time a year ago. That may not seem like much until you put it into a historical context and see just how significant the ramp up really is, right? Mm -hmm. So um, we're going to get this uh, chart on our um, podcast notes, yep. okay? And you just really got to see graphically, listeners, just this massive rise in money supply. And going back to Mark's point, with so much liquidity in the system, it tends to be a positive or a tailwind for risk assets. And I'll turn it over to you for any comments. Yeah, no, I think, you know, <clears throat> if you just look on the chart, it goes back to 1981 and you see, you know, each time we come out of a bear market or, or a recession, you see the money supply spike. And then typically going forward, market returns have been pretty good. Um, so obviously when there's more money circulating around, there's more, you know, money to put into risk on assets that, you know, people want to get a return on their money. So I think, you know, this is another another tailwind for the market going forward, at least in the next six to eight months. So listeners, how you can uh, get this chart is you're going to go to jessupwealthmanagement.com. You're going to hover over the podcast tab and there'll be a link for the show notes. Yes. Mark, I'm going to send it back to you, sir. OK, uh, I got two things really quick. Um, the first came from a quote from Ben Carlson's blog post on April 23rd. Um, his blog is A Wealth of Common Sense, and we've talked about some of the stuff that he's written before, so you can check that out if you'd like. Um, but here's a quote. Diversification can make you feel like you're running uphill with a weighted vest on during a bull market. <laughs> it's only during a bear market that you realize the importance or its importance as a form of risk management. A 50-50 portfolio of the S&P 500 and Barclays Aggregate Bond Index is down 3.9% or so this year compared to a 12.7% decline in the stock market. Again, this was as of April 23rd for those numbers. Yes, but sir. this is a great point. Everyone doesn't want to be diversified when stocks are going gangbusters like they were from 2009 to the beginning of 2020, but... You know, when we have periods like what we just went through, having bonds in the portfolio makes a big difference. It really does. And this is one of those things where, you know, this is one of the negatives of a huge, massive bull market is that everyone wants to be on risk on assets and no one wants bonds. No one wants protection until something like this happens. And they're like, you know, people can't have it both ways, essentially. I think you need to realize the importance as an investor that even in good times, it pays to have some protection, I'm going to call it in air quotes, or safer assets as a part of your portfolio. I agree 100%. I'm not sure I can add much 
verbiage to what you just said. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, he put it, he put it perfectly. It really is. And I'm going to say it again. Diversification can make you feel like you're running uphill with a weighted vest on during a bull market. I love that. I guess the one thing that comes to mind for me is kind of how we manage client accounts internally, Mark, which is we're all looking for consistency. Right. Right. And um, that is, uh, it's an art, right? And um, I think a lot of people at times, because it's human nature with the two guiding emotions of finance, of fear and greed, uh, when that greed aspect takes effect, you know, people tend to lose, you know, their control mechanisms, right? And one of the things that you and I have to do for clients is to maintain that, that sort of discipline, which is very hard for a lot of individual investors. Yeah, it is. It is. And, you know, when with everyone comparing returns to the market, you know, as an advisor, you know, clients are going to give you some crap maybe if you're underperforming the index in a bull market. But, you know, this is why we have diversified portfolios is for times like this. You know, it's going to happen only 5 to 10% of the time. But when that 5 to 10% of the time comes, it's nasty like we just went through. It's yep. not pretty. Yep. So, okay. Uh, the last thing that we will post uh, on the show notes as well is a chart from the St. Louis Fed which we, um, again, will post in our uh, show notes. So if you go to www.jessupwealthmanagement.com, hover over the podcast tab and click the show notes, um, you can see this chart as well. And this is a chart that shows initial jobless claims, and it shows that we've been declining steadily each week since the peak on March 28th. So I think this is a good sign that things uh, you know, aren't getting way out of control from a jobless claim or initial jobless claim uh, standpoint, even though you see the headlines each Thursday morning of people filing for unemployment, there's not as many people filing for unemployment as there was on March 28th. The week over week growth rates coming down. Exactly. So, um, you know, I'm just trying to look at the glass half full here. Um, and people can check this out for themselves. Obviously, it's never a good thing when, you know, millions and millions of people every week are applying for unemployment, but the rate at which people have has started to come down, which is encouraging to me. And see, why does that matter, listeners, for us? You know, we look at consumer consumption, right? We look at the ability of the consumer to continue to spend and how it affects companies that we own for clients. And that's why we pay attention to data like this. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So let's move on to the financial planning topic of the week. And I just wanted to touch on something briefly. I won't take too much time this week, but I just wanted to talk about Roth conversions again, Matt, because I think now is a really good time for people to consider utilizing Roth conversions. So anytime there's a large market decline, I think it makes sense for people to convert traditional IRA money to Roth money if they can. So just going back to the basics for a second, the differences between an IRA and a Roth IRA. IRA is all pre-tax money. So you save everything into it pre-tax. You get a tax deduction for it. When you take that money out at retirement, it's taxed at your ordinary income tax rate at that time you take it out. Sure. Roth IRAs get taxed at your current rate when you make the contribution, but then when you take the money out in retirement, it's completely tax-free. And it grows tax-deferred that whole time, just like the traditional. Yes. Yep. So, you know, when we have sell-offs like this, it makes sense to convert 
more money to a Roth IRA to put into risk assets like stocks so you get more of that tax-free growth in that account going forward. Going forward. So I think that this is a good time because it allows investors to take uh, you know, advantage of converting money at lower prices and you know, tax-free long-term growth. And especially with the current tax code that's set to expire in 2026, I think it makes sense to do the conversions now at a lower tax rate. And obviously, no one knows what's going to happen with tax rates. People have thought that tax rates are going to increase the past decade. They haven't really. Um, so that's anyone's best guess. But if you can afford to do it, I think it makes sense. But you have to remember, too, that any amount of money that you convert from a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA, you have to pay tax on. Yes, you do. So that will be added to your ordinary income tax for that year. Um, so just be aware that, that it's not a free lunch. You just don't get to skip out on the taxes when you do that. Um, so if it makes sense for you to fill up a tax bracket for 2020, for example, I think this is a good time for people to take advantage of that. I love it, Mark. Now, listeners, if you're uh, kind of on the, uh, on the fence and don't know what to do in regards to this, uh, Mark and I have a fabulous uh, paraplanner in our office. His name's Aaron Kramer. Uh, you can go to the Jessup Wealth Management website. You can go under About Us, and you'll see under the team, and you're going to see Aaron's information. You can reach out to Aaron. He has the uh, software and the knowledge to kind of walk you through and model these things. And a big thing for uh, people looking at this, Mark, is making sure they don't get stuck in very high tax brackets by making the conversion. right. So Aaron does a really good job in coming up sometimes with a multi-year plan for conversions. And so that is his expertise. So I would highly recommend listeners, if you need some assistance in that area, please reach out uh, to Aaron. Or worst case, you can always uh, message us on, uh, on our various social media and we'll get you connected. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you have anything else, Matt, before we wrap this up? I don't. I don't. I'm looking forward to um, the weeks to come, Mark. I'm looking forward to phasing in, you know, normal life. I know this uh, last couple of months has been hard on a, a lot of people, a lot of families, kids, and um, I'm optimistic that we are about to turn uh, a page in the book that I think will be very positive. Yeah, I hope so, too. And on that note, um, I'll share something that I think will make people's day because it certainly made my day when I saw it. Let's do it. For everyone that has a Twitter account, go follow Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he has a pet pony and a pet donkey. The pet donkey's name is Lulu and Lulu just turned one. And he just had this Twitter video uh, that he posted, I think it was on Sunday night, that literally just made my day. It was this pet donkey eating food out of Schwarzenegger's hand. I love it. And it was, and he was singing happy birthday to Lulu. So if you have a Twitter account, go follow Arnold. His posts are hilarious and they're awesome. And it just brightened my day. I love it. And so for listeners, real quick, um, I bring my dog, uh, Louie, to work. Um, and um, I have nicknames for him in Lulu's one of them. So listeners, as Mark said that he's sleeping in between us, he pops up. He's like, I'm ready. What do you need me to do? <laughs> Where are we going? Where are we going, dad? All right, everyone, we'll wrap it up for this week and we will be back with you next week um, for the 45th episode of the independent advisors podcast. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Have a good weekend, everyone. Thank you for listening to the independent advisors podcast. 
If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. And also check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. Here you'll find links to every episode of The Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words, questions, and topics in the subject line to mark at jessupwealthmanagement.com, and we'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.